And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory. John tells us in 1 John, he says, that which we have seen, that which we have touched, he said, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. First John, I mean, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John says, we beheld his glory. He says, full of grace and truth. If there were every time in Jesus that he did not demonstrate grace, then John told us a lie. Nothing about the life of Jesus, but what was grace demonstrated. The beloved disciple, the one who had been with Jesus, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, the one who wrote about Jesus probably with more passion than any of the others. But we find that this morning, as we've been reminded of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for the last time, you remember there are many times he came into Jerusalem and, and they sought to kill him, but he was always able to leave. But then there came a time, it says, and he set his face toward Jerusalem. There came a time whenever no one could stop him from going because he was coming for the last time. And we see the amazing grace of Christ demonstrated even during this time. And, and as I've read over and over this week about the triumphal entry, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says that he beheld the city and wept over it. Here is the God-man, the man-God, the God-man. I've often thought, wouldn't it have been wonderful to have been the God-man? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be God-man? He was all God and all man. As he's coming in Jerusalem, here is the man who is also all God. And he saw Jerusalem and he wept over it. You see, here is a man in the flesh, but who is God who's able to discern the future of Jerusalem. And it says that he was able to realize all the things that were going to happen how would you like, how would you like as a parent to be able to see the future of your child whom you love dearly? Mm. I was just thinking about my two boys, Barry and Brian. I was thinking about my grandson, Jackson. Thinking about my grandson, Charlie, my grandson, Chelsea, 
without a doubt, as I have named them, there are going to be things that happen in their life which are going to be shattering because they live in a world that's filled with sin. They live in a world, that fallen world. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, I'm sure glad I don't know their future. I know who's going to control their future. I pray that it's you. But I, I, I wept and I began to think what these kids are going through. What they're going to face. They're going to be, I don't know. They might be one of them taken before, before me. And I understand that you who are parents who have seen a child die. What a grief. I understand it's, it's terrible. It's terrible to lose a mate. When Sandra died, I wanted, I said, Lord, why can't, why can't mates die together? I didn't, I didn't want to live. I knew God had something in store for me, but, but the pain was there. But, but I'm told that the death of a child is worse than that. And so when I think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, he not only saw the future for Jerusalem, he saw us. Do you think that the blood and, and, the, and the spikes and the thorns and, and the spear were that which crushed him? No, he said, he bore our iniquities. No wonder he wept. No wonder he wept. And as I read over and over about his coming into Jerusalem, I just wanted to finish all that was taking place before we ever came to the crucifixion. And he comes into the temple and the temple is cleansed and he's teaching daily in the temple and the priests and scribes, they sought to, to destroy him. He gives the parable of the husbandman taking care of the vineyard and, and how that the people uh, punished him. And then a time when in the sun came, the owner of the vineyard came and they killed him. He talks about the resurrection answers where the question is raised, if a man marries and, and um, he dies and his brother marries and on down five uh, married in order to, to keep up the, the, uh, the, the family uh, genealogy, the family. And then the question is raised, when, when she dies, he, whose wife is she going to be when he gets to heaven? And Jesus, you know, is answering, saying, you know, this is, heaven is not a place for marrying and giving in marriage and then we find that the greatest lesson taught about giving is the widow's might. And she comes and she gives all that she has. He predicts false prophets would come. He talks about the signs of the end of time, about Judas' betrayal. He instigates the Last Supper. He talks to Simon Peter and said, you know, Simon, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Then we go to Gethsemane. This morning, even in our Bible study, we talked about something about Gethsemane. You know, the artist, artist has missed it all together. They've got Jesus kneeling beside a rock with his hands folded, with his robe wide. He's looking so angelic into heaven. And the Bible says, and he fell on his face. He fell on his face and he wept bitterly. And his sweat was like drops of blood. Jesus is not kneeling, looking up into heaven with folded hands and a rope. He is suffering. And he's saying, 
Lord, if it be your will, let this pass from me. I don't want to do this. The humanity of Jesus coming out. But then he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And then we find the trials, so to speak. And then the crucifixion that lasts before his death lasts for six hours. Six agonizing hours. We call the day of the crucifixion Good Friday. It was good for us. But it was bad for Jesus. It was a bad day. A bad day. But yet it was a good day. One author said it was a day bearing the fruit of betrayal. It was a day of lying tongues in compromised courts. It was a day of brutal beatings, of vicious bloodletting. It was a day of screamed and curses and anger tyrants. It was a day of mindless mobs and jeering throngs. It was a day of violence on the heels of rejection. It was a day of stark loneliness in the wake of fleeing friends. It was a day of dismal darkness, thunder, and earthquake. It was a day of human arrogance and folly, a God-forsaken day in which God himself was killed as he submitted himself. Here the Creator submitting himself, himself into the hands of his creature, of his creatures. I want to take right quickly, as we look at this cross scene, there are seven sayings of Jesus at the cross. And I'm not going to deal with them so much. We're going to touch on them. But I'm going to look at it in light of, if Jesus is the man who is full of grace and truth, if it does not hold true in every situation, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. But as we look at these seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, here is a bad day. Here is a bad day. And we can take these days, and I believe we can listen to what Jesus says there on the cross, and we can bring those over into our life and say, God is not only giving us a message, but he's telling us how we can face the worst day of our lives. The worst day of our lives. First of all, I just want to, to look at them all. In, John, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the first thing Jesus says is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then he says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Then he says, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy woman. And then the saying, Why hast thou forsaken me? And then I thirst. And then it's finished. And then, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It made that first expression, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is saying to himself and to us that we need to forgive everybody who's trying to ruin our life. At our worst day, the worst time that we're dealing with, that is the beginning. We need to come to the conclusion is that we need to forgive those who have ought against us. Forgiveness, forgiveness. Here is the key. Here is the key to where Jesus found victory during the hardest day of his life. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
forgive everyone who is running or ruining our lives or seems to be. Everyone who has failed you, hurt you, offended you, done anything to ruin your life, ruin your day, ruin your opportunities, ruin your dreams, blocked your goals, forgive them. Forgiveness is the key to live in liberty. Forgiveness causes us to be victors rather than victims. Forgiveness removes ourselves from the control of others who probably don't know even that they're hurting us. Jesus refused to not forgive. Jesus was not going to be controlled and be victimized by those who were surrounding him. Of all the things that are happening, he's the only one. He's the only one who has peace. He's the only one who has peace. And this was the most difficult day in the life of our Lord. He began, first of all, facing the reality, I need to forgive, and he did forgive. And you and I, as we face the difficult days of our life, we must be willing to say, must be willing to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. For you see, Jesus, when he said, they don't know what they do, we would say, they did know what they, what they were doing. But Jesus said, they didn't. They didn't. And when we think of the awfulness of sin, we think of the awfulness of sin, we would have to say, surely, surely, a person doesn't realize how damning that is. How oftentimes do we think that sin is just something that I commit, but then to realize that it affects our children. It affects those around us. Eventually can make a difference in our whole community, make a difference in our whole family. The importance of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I was reading this week, and a young man named Richard, he came and talked with his family. You see, Richard is a medical doctor, a young man who most of his life had practiced a lifestyle of homosexuality lived in a gay community, but he had had the opportunity of hearing the gospel and came to realize that there was forgiveness and that he was living the wrong lifestyle. And he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord, but he knew he had to go home and he had to talk to Charles, who was his mate, and tell him what had happened. He does go. And he says, Charles, I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to share something with you. And I want you to know I don't hate you. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to hurt you, but Charles, there has made a difference in my life. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I want to tell you, I cannot live in this style anymore. I've trusted Christ, and I want you to know, I would like to share the Christ that I know. Charles became very angry. He told me he wanted nothing to do with him. He spread throughout the community how that his maid had done him wrong would not have anything to do with him. But then there came a day about two years later. That the man who had become a believer. Heard that Charles had AIDS. He goes to his apartment. The door is cracked a little. And he goes in. And he smells the stench of death. 
Charles says, I don't want anything to do with you. He doesn't pay any attention. He goes and he begins to clean the room. He brings him food. He cares for him. He does this day after day after day. And he says, because I've had background in medicine, I was able to do it safely. And he said, I never said anything to Charles about Jesus, not because I was ashamed, but I knew it wouldn't do any good. And he said, after several weeks, when I took care of him, even though he had mouthed me in the community, even though the community cared nothing about me, I stayed with him and I cared for him and I cared for him. And he said, one day after I had fed him and bathed him, and put him back to bed. He said, would you tell me about this Jesus? He responded to faith in Christ. A couple of weeks later, they had the memorial service of a man who had passed from death into life. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In our worst days, the greatest thing that you and I can do is to practice forgiveness. For you see, we have been forgiven, therefore we forgive others. But there on that same day, there were two thieves, one on each side. One was railing upon Jesus. The other said, be quiet. This man doesn't deserve what he's getting. We do. And he turned and he said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Not only did Jesus forgive everyone who had anything against him, but during this time he was helping others, willing to help others who were in the same struggle that he was in. He could have been selfish. He could have said, both of you deserve hell. But Jesus did not focus upon what was happening with him. He was still a man full of grace and truth and was even sharing with the man who said, remember me when thou comest into my kingdom. A man who was guilty. A man who was guilty. Often in our experiences of our hard days, our tough days, We don't focus upon those around us. We don't really sometimes see those who are in the same condition that we are. And we don't pay that much attention to them. But then we find Jesus looks down at his mother. And he said, Woman, behold thy son. John was standing there. And then he said, John, behold thy mother. The third thing that Jesus did, he was making sure to take care of those who were nearest him. Oftentimes in our hard days, our tough days, we forget about the caregiver, don't we? We forget about the caregiver. Jesus knew Mary loved him. He knew how painful this was going to be. And even in the midst of his dying, this six hours of painful death, he made sure that someone was going to take care of his mother. And in our days that are tough, 
we also need to look around and see those who are caring for us during our toughest days. I've had a lot of tough days. And my boys many times have said, Dad, there for years, every time we got a phone call, we wonder when we're supposed to be in the hospital. And I remember after I came through several crises, my oldest son Barry said, Dad, I want to tell you something. If you don't take care of yourself and you get sick again, we're going to be mad. And then I realized also uh, after Sandra went to be with the Lord, I thought of all the years that she took care of me. And I thought, Lord, I did not appreciate her like I ought to. I never realized until as ministers are going and sitting with people all day and then going in and sitting with the doctor and, and the doctor saying, there's no hope, there's no hope. How painful that is. And then I, I, I failed to realize, failed to realize that. And I think oftentimes in our crises, we forget all of those who are, who are taking care of us, who are suffering around us. Jesus was full of grace and thought of his mother even during that time. And then there comes a time when you hear him cry out, My God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? You see, during this, that hard time, he knew that he could go to the Father. And during our hard times, let's not forget, we can go to the Father. Sure, there are those around us, but they don't need to be blamed. If we got something that we need to complain about, we need to complain to the Father. I heard some years ago, a great author says, We cannot complain about God. We ought not to complain about God, but he's big enough for us to complain to him. And so during our day, our hardest days, let's realize that we have a God who loves us. He is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And then he comes to a time, he says, I thirst here the son of God the son of God was human enough to acknowledge his needs we are human beings it's no weakness to acknowledge our needs how blessed we are that we're part of a family term that I heard many years ago we're part of God's forever family and there's no reason at all there's no reason at all for us to feel like even during our toughest time that we can have to go it alone we can't go it alone the word that is used to describe us is the word saints and it's always plural it's never singular we are saints of God we are a family of God who cares and you see, when we're part of a family of God who cares, when we have joy, when it's, it's, we can share it together, and joy is multiplied. But when we're part of a family and we have grief, and we have folks who help us, our grief is minimized because we've got someone who cares, who cares. And so we can, we can, we have, we have invitation to come before God. And he's big enough to handle whatever our needs might be. And then the sixth one, Jesus said, 
it's finished. I didn't mean that his life was finally over. But he was saying, even before the end is coming, even before the end, even though it's going to be shortly, even before the end, he can say, it's finished. The plan which the Father had before the foundation of the world is finished. It is finished. What, what is needed? Nothing. Here is a man full of grace and truth. What is grace? Grace giving us what we deserve. No. Grace is giving us what we need rather than what we deserve. Jesus, full of grace and truth. The older I get, and it is getting older every year, the days are short and long, but the years are short. The years pass by. The years pass by. I think about 71 years of age. 71 years. And I look back over my life, Sometimes I have deja vu and it's almost like I'm reliving it. And I come to think about some of those experiences and I think, oh, God could have zapped me then. He could have ruined me. But it's by his grace. Jesus, he knew there was a purpose. And his purpose was being fulfilled. Just like you and just like me. We're not here by accident. During our toughest days, if we can realize that God even has purpose in this. For it is often people are looking to see what's happening when we're suffering. Oh, if we're singing, oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a feeling everything's going my way. If we can sing that, the world can do that. But what happens when the pain starts? What happens when the days are tough? Jesus, full of grace and truth. The challenge, I believe, is strongest these days. We have a world that's suffering. We have, we have a world that, that is not practicing grace. They need to see it. They need to see it demonstrated. They need to see it demonstrated. And finally... Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Finally surrendering his day to God and let it go. Wow. Isn't that sometimes the hardest thing about our tough days? Is finally after we have forgiven others, after we have helped those who are in the same experience, after we've taken care of those closest to us, after we, we aim our concerns to God, after we acknowledge that we're just human, after, we, after we've said it, 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 is, it, is, it is finished, to come to say, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That is so important. There does have to come a time when we finally say, Lord, I don't even have a will about this. I put my situation right into your hands. And then we hear a passage of scripture like this. Didn't you know? I've already said, 
Come unto me, all ye that labor and have a little bit of, no, and are heavy laden, and I. Hmm. And I'll give you peace. I'll give you peace. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. What a wonderful, wonderful promise we find in these passages that we've just read. A day. Oh, yes, there are going to be some of them tough. But the Lord let us know that he's full of grace and truth. And he says, my peace I give you. Not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. For by grace are we saved and continue being saved and continue being saved. For by grace are we saved through faith. And that is a gift of God, not of works, lest we should boast. Grace. His grace is still amazing. You can pick out any event in the life of our Lord. He's still going to be filled with grace and truth. And just to think, our Lord has been able to look down through the history, has been able to look down through time, and is right where we are. He sees. He sees some who are grieving. And he weeps. He sees some who are wrestling with decisions. And he weeps. He's seen some who have gotten news that is not good news. Where's God in all this? He weeps. He offers grace in the midst of all the things that are happening in our life. All the things that are happening in our life. One of the things I'll always remember about my father, Adam Carmel Duncan. He was a man of grace. Never saw my dad angry. Never heard my dad even say shucks. He'd say if you're going to say shucks, you might as well go ahead and say the other word because that's the one you're thinking about. He didn't like, a, didn't like bad language. Dad was such a forgiving person. Such a forgiving person. I've shared some of the things with you, but I, right now thinking of the one that he takes me off to college and that first day he puts me out at Garden Web and I take all my junk up to my room and Dad goes with me and we come back down to the car, and Dad's getting ready to leave. But Dad reaches in his bill back pocket. He pulls out his billfold. At this time, my dad was making probably $75 a week, working 40 and 48 hours a week, working at a textile plant. My dad reached in that little secret place where every man has got. And my dad pulls out a $20 bill. That's one-third of all that he made that week. 
And my dad said, he wasn't a hugger. I don't ever remember my dad hugging me. I hugged him first when I got about 20. My dad handed that to me. And he said, son, I don't care what happens. You can always come back home. This ought to get you home. Oh, doesn't that ring? Isn't that that our Heavenly Father? Isn't that Jesus? Full of grace and truth. He says, my child, whatever is happening... I want you to be with me in my home. You're welcome. And Jesus knew as he looked over the city that he was going to die. And he, would, he knew that there, were going to, there was going to be a way where people could, could, could have help. But he wept because he knew there were many who would not receive his gift. Freely, freely. This morning, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. I don't know where you are in your pilgrimage. I know where I am in my pilgrimage, more or less. But wherever I will find in my pilgrimage in days ahead, there is a wonderful Lord who is filled with grace and truth. He says, if it were not so, I would have (laughs) if it were not so I would what have told you let's pray surely surely Lord we can believe you because you have been tried and you've been tested And you have come out full of grace and truth each time. We gather here this morning and some of us have heavy hearts. Some of us have decisions that need to be made. Help us, Father, to know that we don't have to make them by ourselves. We cannot make them by ourselves and have the greatest decision. I pray that there's one here today or more who has never received Christ Jesus, the one who is the dispenser of grace, the one who came to give us life he came in this world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved and perhaps there's someone today who does not know what it is to be free from the guilt of sin perhaps there's some believer here this morning they're wrestling with an awful lot of decisions maybe sometime maybe something in the heart there's a there's a little bit of unforgiveness perhaps they need to turn it loose and say it's finished It's finished. Into thy hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. Perhaps we've been carrying some things around that that you said that we didn't need to carry around. That we need to bring them to you and say, Lord, right here they are. I cannot handle them. I leave them with you. Whatever we need to do today, O Spirit of God, may we realize that you're one who is filled with grace and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May we stand.